Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Real Talk Bible, part of the Edmo Show. Um, so before I get into anything, there's some stuff that I kind of want to get off. Uh, so as you got, and it's going to tie into a little bit of what we're talking about um, today. So I've been watching the Kyle Rittenhouse um, trial, you know, online. And some of the things that are shocking me is a lot of the responses that I'm seeing from news media, um, people that I know, of course, celebrities and stuff. I'm not going to make this whole episode about that, you know, because we got to get down to the nuts and bolts of chapter 17 to 18 tonight for uh, for the Bible series. But I was watching a commentary from Jason Whitlock and regardless of how you feel, about the Kyle Rittenhouse um, trial, the situation, all this other stuff. Jason Whitlock, um, he was an ESPN commentator for sports. He's made a name for himself. He has his own webpage. He works for the Blaze and stuff like that. But when talking, he had his opening monologue, I guess, on his most recent episodes. So you guys can go check it out on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to echo some of his uh, sentiments because I actually feel the same. What happened at Kyle Rittenhouse isn't necessarily Kyle Rittenhouse's fault. Yes, Kyle Rittenhouse was there, but Kyle Rittenhouse, the reason why it he's the victim in this, besides the fact that he was attacked, was that men have failed Kyle Rittenhouse. Men have failed uh, society, and men have failed um, our families and our communities. There's no reason... And I'm not you and I'm not gonna say this to demonize Kyle Rittenhouse because I actually believe we need more men, more men like Kyle Rittenhouse. Men have failed because we left the space open for a 17-year-old boy to step in and handle a man's job. While yes, men were there, but men, American men, by and large, I don't care what your race is. I don't really care what your religion is. I don't care what your political beliefs are. Men have failed. Because the absence of men, the refusal to step up from men, has created this environment to where a 17-year-old boy has to feels like he has to step in and do something instead of worrying about being a 17-year-old boy. I'm going to cover this more next week. Um, when I get to it, I just, it, it, it's just baffling my mind that someone like LeBron James can step out on the news and try to attack, even though Kyle Rittenhouse is 18, he's still, a, he's a young man. He's not, he's not a man yet. And we're going to talk about manhood, maleness, all this other stuff on a later episode. And I do want to get some of my some of my old cast, you know, get some of my old friends back, Fat Jesus, David, so that we can have a conversation about this. But, and then some other people. But this goes into a lot of what Exodus is talking about. And I believe what we can pull out of these chapters right here. Men have to stand up and start doing something. We shouldn't leave it to our women, we shouldn't leave it to our children. Or not even if you don't have children like 
I may not have because trust me, I was a wild dude back in, back in the day. But I say this to say men, men should not expect women and children to handle issues, to, ha- to handle fights and all this other stuff. We are living in a time where men are spiritually weak, mentally weak, emotionally weak, morally and ethically weak. And something needs to be done. And that's part of the reason why I started this podcast. Part of the reason why I'm affiliated with some of the organizations that I'm affiliated with. Part of the reason why I started doing the Bible series because... I understand that there is something lacking. For a long time, for me, it was this Bible. It it was the Word of God. Now, again, like I said, I got into it for moral and ethical reasons, and then I was amazed by how, over time, my thoughts, my feelings about things, my beliefs about things shifted. But... I'm going to tackle this whole Kyle Rittenhouse, my, what happened, some of the facts you should know, and all this other stuff. But I just have to comment on, and it's not just LeBron James, but the fact that someone as public as LeBron James, someone who has children, someone who's cried on ESPN, has cried on the news when someone tagged his garage door, but yet he did nothing, is going to comment about on a kid who cried trying to defend himself both at the both during the situation and in court because what the prosecution is trying to do is throw this kid away for life and it's not even a prosecution of just Kyle Rittenhouse it is the prosecution of men it is the prosecution of America it is the prosecution of people who want to defend themselves and people who want to clean up their community the fact that we are attacking Kyle Rittenhouse as some sort of monster some sort of delinquent when he's trying to clean up the the graffiti and somehow ironically he ended up shooting three felons one who just got out of a mental institution who is a child molester another one who was a felon who should not even have had a gun since we're going to sit there and talk about while Kyle shouldn't have had a gun there was a felon with a gun who pointed a gun at Kyle and Kyle had to defend himself but I'm 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 Trust me, I'm going to get into the weeds of this on the next episode. I just really want you guys to tune in. But I really think, I think this is signs of the times right now, that something is coming, something is changing. So now that I got that off my chest, I'm going to, I'm going to roll into, um, roll into the episode. So of course, you know, welcome back, Real Talk Bible. If you guys can tell, I'm just a little bit excited and emotional about it. So, I just got a new Bible in, and I'm really liking this. Um, however, we're going to, for this episode, we're going to continue running off of off of the, 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 the TLV version. However, what I have here is the Hallelujah Scriptures, and they have the, the Paleolithic script of God's name in Hebrew. Now, the reason why, uh, and I might take a little bit long today, but the reason why I've, this was a gift to me. And the reason why I'm liking this Bible is, of course, as you guys know, I, as I said, the Bible has been translated over and over and over again, different languages, but not even just the language aspect, but the understanding aspect. 
And I was thinking about this the other night um, when I was reading. And some, what I've come to understand is that the reason why we have a issue with the Bible is because we think of it, we're, we're coming at the Bible from a westernized or Greek or Greco-Roman way of thinking, a very linear way of thinking instead of a cyclical way of thinking. And not just any cyclical way of thinking, but a cyclical way of thinking that is still moving forward. So this, you know, this Bible so far to me, I love, I love it. And it says in this translation, the hallelujah scriptures are not sold. uh, They are given for free or Messiah or Mashiach. And that's, and that's one of the things that I like that they actually put the real Hebrew words and they tell you how the words are pronounced. It says, um, that which is Messiah, said, you have received without paying, give without being paid. Matthew 10, verse 8. Uh, why? Because he gave his all. He gave his chai, his spirit, I believe. I've, I got I to remember what this. Oh, life. Oh, yeah. Chai means life. H-I-H-A-I. Chai in Hebrew. On the cruel stake in order to save us uh, from all sin, to redeem us from all lawlessness. And one thing that I like is that, you know, that, that they do put the, the paleo, you know, script of God's name in there. And um, let me see. There is. Huh. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Okay, so it starts off as this translation of the scripture uses a number of words and names that may be unfamiliar to some. The name of the Almighty, uh, the Creator, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, Y-H-W-H, known as the the Tetragrammaton, is uh, is rendered using the ancient Hebrew letters Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This practice of copying scripture into modern Hebrew was applied by the scribes while the name of Yahuwah or uh, Yahuwah uh, was rendered in the Paleo-Hebrew script. And they 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 show you what the script is. Uh, the Eng- this English translation uses the same script throughout. Uh, it is believed to be the form used by Yahuwah himself. Uh, he gave his commandments in stone to Mashiach, which I mean uh, Moshe, which is Moses. Uh, let me see. There was a piece in here that kind of. Uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. Okay, so uh, use it. The use uh, other use of language. The Torah command not to speak the name of. False mighty ones, which is false gods. Exodus twenty three thirteen, which we're going to get to, uh, and also they gave the other verses, and uh, and in an, in an effort to reduce the number of English words derived from pagan deities or pagan titles, especially pertaining to Yahuwah, his bane and his people, the Hallelujah Scriptures contains a number of Hebrew words, also reflecting the Hebrew origins of the scriptures. As that as these terms will be foreign to many, a glossary is included to familiarize the users with these words, and then they give a nice glossary of how all the books are written and um, what their translations and meanings are. 
So, you know, so we're not going to use this one for this episode. I'm going to try to use it on the next episode. You know, I'm just reading it from the beginning, from Genesis, trying to see the similarities, similarities and differences. So, but of course, um, we're also going to use uh, Dennis Prager's God, Exodus, and Slavery, even though um, I've already made some notes, but I may not use them this this episode, but we're getting long-winded. So, all right, let's go ahead and get this party started. All right. All right, so chapters 17 and 18. Oh, I don't understand why I put 15, but just, ah. Ex- just excuse, that was a typo. Chapter 17, testing and quar- a test and quarreling. All the congregation of ben, of Benay or Bain Israel uh, journeyed from the wilderness of sin in stages, according to the command of Adonai, and camped in uh, Rephidim. Uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, "Give us water to drink." And Moses said to them, "Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Adonai?" But The people thirsted for water there, and they complained against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us with thirst, along with our children and cattle? So Moses cried out to Adonai and said, What am I to do for these people? They are about to stone me. Uh, They are are about ready to stone me. Adonai said to Moses, Walk before the people and take of the elders of Israel Israel, uh, with you. Along with your staff and with you struck the river. Take it in your hand and go. Behold, I will stand before you uh, there upon the rock of Horeb. You are to strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people can drink. Then Moses did just in the just so in the eyes of the elders of Israel. The name of the place was called Massah. Or uh, and Mirabah, because of the quarreling of Bain Israel, and because they tested Adonai, saying, "Is Adonai among us or not?" So let me see what Dennis actually has to say. Uh, because you know, and it, it's it's interesting because every time I read like these scriptures and stuff, I just keep thinking about today. So let me see. The Israelites do not seem, and this is an essay from from Dennis, the Israelites do not seem to differentiate between God and Moses. The the Israelites do not seem to differentiate between God and Moses. They demand that Moses, not God, provide them with water. This is understandable given how uh, visible Moses was as opposed to the invisible God, given the miracle God performed through them, I mean, through him, and given their previous life in a society in which the Pharaoh was a man god. In his response, Moses made uh, the differentiate the differentiation clear and argued against their testing a, a demonstrably trustworthy God. Why do you quarrel with me? I, Moses, am not the source of water. Why do you try literally test the Lord? Um, after all God has done uh, all the after all God has done for you, why do you continue to test him? Uh, right here, why, uh, 
we should relate to God as adults relate to parents, not as children do. And to me, like that is probably today we have that in spades. People seem to want to relate to God, uh, another adult, the government as a child. So I'm going to read this essay right here. It says the Hebrew word Massah or Meribah means test and quarrel. The people define whether or not uh, whether or not God was in their presence by whether or not they got what they needed. Like children, the Israelites were not were only able to trust eh, to trust in God uh, when He was directly and obviously providing for their welfare. That is an understandable view of God for the first generation of monotheists, who uh, who more who moreover. Uh, were led into the wilderness with no way to supply their own basic needs. But we, who live thousands of years later, should no longer be like children in our attitude towards God. We should relate to God as adults, and just as adults can no longer rely on their parent to provide for their every need. Religious, religious people should not rely on God to provide for their every need. God provides for... I don't understand why I got the hiccups right now. God provided for all the needs of the people in the desert because the people of Israel were still in their infancy and because they were unable in their circumstances to provide for themselves. According to the de- uh, de- uh, de- uh, <laughs> developmental psychology, we need our parents to take care of us when we are young in order to develop the emotional maturity sufficient to take care of ourselves as adults, Jews and all others who believe in God should do the same. So long we remember Exodus and God caring for the Israelites in the desert, we should develop the emotional uh, theological maturity not to demand ongoing divine intervention just as a mature uh, just as mature adults do not demand this of their parents and to know God exists and love us even when we do not perceive or receive direct intervention. There is no other choice. If faith in God is uh, and leading a religious life were dependent on constant and obvious divine interventions on behalf on our behalf, no one would ever believe in God. So, now we're going to move on to the next um subchapter, war against Amalek. Then the Amalekites uh, came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Moses said to to Joshua, uh, choose men, go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua or Yahshua did as Moses said and fought the Amalekites while Moses, Aaron, and Hur uh, went up to the top of the hill. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Uh, but when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he uh, and he sat down. Aaron and Hur held up uh, held up his hands, uh, one on each side. So this hand, so his hands were steady until the sun went down. So. Uh, Joshua overpowered the Amalekites 
and the army with, uh, and his army with edge with the edge of the sword. Adonai said to Moses, "Write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the hearing of Joshua, for I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven." Then Moses built an altar and called the name Adonai Nessi, or God is my standard slash God is my banner. Then he said, by the hand upon the throne of Adonai, Adonai will have war with the Amalekites for generations to generations. And I'm probably going to do some more research on who the Amalekites were, um, but we're going to move over to uh, chapter 18. But before I get into that, I believe uh, Zoe, I believe he, I believe he talked about this on his show, that the gesture, or if not him, I probably saw it somewhere else, but the gesture that Moses was having was to symbolize or to foreshadow the crucifixion of Christ or the crucifixion of the Messiah, because, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing, the Israelites who were who were on the ground fighting. Every time Moses had his arms up, the Israelites would win. When Moses would lower his arms, they would lose. And I believe the what was said was, from the ground, as you're looking up at Moses, he was the depiction of a cross. He was the depiction of a cru- like the Messiah being crucified. And that because the Messiah was crucified we would win or the Israelites would win against their enemies. And you got to understand Moses is old as dirt at this point. Moses is very old and and not even just age uh, playing a factor. I remember in basic training, they used to give us, they used to make us hold our, our shirt, our cam, our blouse in one hand and our pants and our pants in the other. And then we would have to hold them arms out and it's just amazing how heavy, heavy, just clothes, just holding your arms out, your shoulders will shake. Your arms will shake. You will be in pain and agony. So just think about Moses, and it makes sense. Moses holding out his his arms and having a staff in one hand, and he's holding his arms out. And you got to understand how much pain he's in. To ensure the victory. And every time that he put his arms down, they would lose. And then the fact that he had to get help uh, to support his arms up. The fact that he had to sit down. And even in his old age and his pain, he still kept his arms up. So I just thought, you know, I I can't remember exactly if it was Zoe. We'll get Zoe back on the show. But I, I and I, if I, if I heard it from Zoe for somewhere else. But we're going to move on. Uh, chapter 18. Chapter 18, Parashah Yetro, or Jethro. Jethro's advice. Now, if you guys don't remember, uh, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and Moses' father-in-law heard above everything God had done for Moses and his people, uh, Israel. And how Adonai had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Moses' wife, Zipporah. So that is an indication that Zipporah is probably not his daughter because that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Moses' wife, Zipporah, after uh, after he, okay, maybe I overspoke. I think I overspoke. 
So after he has sent her away with her two sons. So I've heard some people say that Sapor wasn't really his daughter. He, she was adopted. That's probably why I jumped the gun there. But I, I, yeah, I apologize. So after he has sent her away with her two sons, I understand why they, okay. Because most times in the Bible, when we talk about sons, they're talk they oftentimes talked about in the that they're being the father's sons. And that was very evident in um in Jacob. They, you know, now, yeah, when they were dividing them up, they were like, okay, these are Rachel's sons, these are uh, Lena's sons, these are, you know, but they were always talked about as being Jacob's sons. So I don't know, but we don't really know too much about Moses' sons anyway. So one was one was named uh, Gershom because he said, I have been an outsider in a foreign land. And the name of the other one was Eliezer because he said, for my father's God is my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So let me see. I believe that there is, let me, where is my cursor? There we go. So I believe, all right, so Gershom means an outsider there, and Elitzer or Eitzer or something, however you uh, pronounce it, means my God help. All right, so so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses into the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. He had told Moses, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to you along with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and then bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that Adonai has done uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians of Israel's sake, I mean, for Israel's sake, as well as all the travail that had come upon them along the way and how Adonai delivered them. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness that Adonai had shown Israel since he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be Adonai who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Adonai is greater than all gods since they had acted arrogantly against them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, presented a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. Aaron also came along with all the with all the elders and Israel to eat to eat bread with Moses's father-in-law before God. And I just love how like they're they're giving so much respect to Jethro even though he's not an Israelite. Even though he's a priest of Midian. Jethro is one even though he's a priest, he is acknowledging that God Yahuwah is greater than all the other gods. He is the true God to the point where he is burning offerings and breaking bread in front of God and as an offering to God, even though he is a priest of something else, which I'm probably going to do some more research on. So the next day, Moses sat to judge the people and they stood around Moses from morning till evening 
When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what's this you're doing to the people? Why sit by yourself alone with all the people standing around from morning until evening? Moses answered his father-in-law, it is be- it's because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have an issue, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor. So I make them understand God's statutes and his laws. But Moses' Moses' father-in-law said to him, uh, what you're doing is no good. You will surely wear yourself out as well as these people who are with you because they ta- because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone by yourself. Now listen to my voice. I will give you advice and may God be with you. You represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Enlighten them as to the statutes and the laws. Show them the way by which they must walk and the works they must do. But you should seek out capable men out of all the people, men who fear God, men of truth, who hate bribery. Appoint them to be rulers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people all the time. Then let every major case be brought to you. Because every minor case they can judge for themselves. Make it easier for yourself as they bear the burden with you. If you do this thing as God so commands uh, commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people will go to the place in Shalom. In peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses chose capable men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people all the time. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but but every small matter they judged for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went uh, and he went on his way to his own land so and that's it okay so let me see i know i highlighted some stuff we still got some time so um dennis starts off chapter 18 with an essay another non-jewish hero in the torah in order to read through the torah in, in its entirety in synagogue each year Jews along with uh, long ago divided the Torah into weekly portions. Each portion is named for the first major word appearing in the portion. The first major word in this verse is Jethro. So Jethro is the name of this portion. Jethro is one of three portions in the Torah named for non-Jews and more precisely non-Israelites. The two others are Noah and Balak. Both Noah and Jethro were outstanding people. Noah was renowned for his righteousness and Jethro for his wisdom. Balak uh, was a villainous king of Moab. The same number of of Torah portions are named for Jews. Sarah, Korak, and Pinchas or Pinchas. Sarah is the first uh, matriarch. 
Horak is a malevolent demagogue, and Pen- uh, Penches was a zealous defender of the faith, but no one to be emulated. See commentary on Numbers 25, verse, uh, 25, verse 6 through 8. This distribution of names underscores yet another, uh, underscores yet again, the Torah is not a uh, provincial document concerned only with Jews. It concerns is all humanity. And its primary concern is goodness. That's why it doesn't begin with Jews, but with the creation of the world. So too long, all, uh, so too, although the Jews are, ch- are the chosen people. They are never accorded special rights. On the contrary, they are held to higher standards than other people and punished accordingly. As the prophet Amos cites God saying to the Jews, you alone I have singled out of all the families of of the earth. That is why I call you to account for all the for all your iniquities. Amos three uh, chapter three, verse two. And as noted previously in the Torah, often depicts Jews acting badly and non-Jews as moral heroes. In this portion, for instance, Jethro is the hero, even though he is a Midianite, a pagan priest. In keeping with the Torah's universal and moral concerns, the medieval Jewish uh, commentator Radek made a powerful point. The story of Jethro follows right after the story of Amalek. Uh, of Amalek, lest any Jew conclude that all non-Jews are enemies uh, to, of the Jewish people. Similarly, Yad Vashem, uh, the Museum of Israel that documents the Holocaust, has an extensive forest of, of ex- has an extensive forest of trees planted in honor of non-Jews who risked their lives to save the Jews during the Holocaust. Those known as the righteous among the nations. This grove played a comparable role in the placement of the Jethro story here as a reminder that even during the Holocaust, not, not all non-Jewish Europeans were Jew haters. The Torah mentions Jethro is a Midianite priest completely, completely matter of factly. He is not only a non-Jew, but a priest who serves what the Torah regards as false gods. But the Torah mentioned him without even a hint of, I don't even understand this word, opprobrium, okay? Not even going to try that. Uh, what matters is he is a good man. He is, he is Moses' father-in-law. And he, is not, and he does not deny the God of the Jews. Even, he even believes, as we, as we shall see in the supremacy of, of God still serving Midian gods. Neither the Torah nor later Judaism demand everyone in the world to be Jewish. God wants more than anything that people be good and be and the best way to achieve that end is to have a world have the world believe in God and his moral law, specifically the Ten Commandments of the ancient Talmudic formulations of the seven Noahide laws Seven basic moral principles, uh, basic moral laws the rabbi uh, deduced from Genesis, the Noahide, refers to sons of Noah, meaning all humanity. Okay. Uh, He writes a lot. 
Okay, explain it. All right. So, yeah. That's pretty much it for Dennis. I'm going to... Whew. Man. Uh, oh, oh, I'm going to read this right here. So, uh, verse 12, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought burnt offerings and sacrifice for God. Uh, the Torah here uses the universal name of God, Elohim. Uh, the use of this name probably significant uh, signifies that although Jethro is bringing an offering to the one God, he is not uh, relating to God as if he were believing uh, as if he were a believing, believing Israelite, in which case the Torah would not most likely have used the name yod heh or Yahweh. Um, he never became an Israelite, but remained a Midianite priest, albeit one who recognizes the universal God of Israel. To repeat, because of the importance of this point, that that is what the Torah and Judaism uh, want of non-Jews to adopt the God of moral values, uh, to adopt the God and moral values of the Torah, but not necessarily become Jews. The though converts are welcomed and loved. All right. Uh, so, um, verse uh, eighteen, or verse twenty-one. You shall seek out from among the people capable men who fear God, trustworthy men who spurn ill-gotten gains. All right. So, Hebrew phrase and Anshi Chayil translates to capable men. Literally means men of valor, and connotes uh, not just capability but also courage and strength this characteristics in the and this is why this i'm kind of glad i didn't shut the book this is what i'm talking about today when i got into the whole kyle rittenhouse thing the characteristics in this verse describe the ideal characteristics of a good leader and judge strong men translate here i believe less accurately as capable men fearing god and is therefore not fearing other men men of truth hate ill-gotten gain i.e. incorruptible and that that's his version it is the it is worth noting that characteristics valued perhaps more than any other in our time is absent compassion it is not it is not mentioned for good reason although compassion is beautiful with human trait and we need to be the most compassionate in our personal lives judges and other leaders cannot be guided solely by passion because passion often subverts justice. If a poor man and a rich man wind up in a dispute, a judge who acts compassionately by ruling in the poor man's favor despite evidence showing the rich man is in the right has subverted justice. That is why the Torah express, expressly prohibits judges from favoring the poor in judgment and, of course, the rich as well. See Leviticus 19 verse 15. So I want to get into that. Let me go to. Let me go to that page. Uh, laws of walking. Okay, you should seek out capable men out of the people who fear God, men of truth, men who hate bribery. So. 
you know what? This was divinely inspired. Anyway, I'm going to, you know, just giving up big, you know, appreciation to God and stuff for that because it, it, it always seems like things happen as they should. But that's why I started out with the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. I mean, uh, trial and some of the comments that I made. Thankfully, the judge on the Kyle Rittenhouse case, he from from his um, just from what I can see, this man is acting in the ways that Jethro is prescribing. He is a man of truth and a man. He's not taking bribes from because there is already talks and comments about if Kyle Rittenhouse is not pro is not you know found guilty and all this other stuff. There'll be riots. They'll try to attack him. You know um, the the families of Jacob Blake and all this other stuff. They they're talking about we're going to target him. Uh, apparently there was word that they were sitting inside the courtroom and they were getting pictures of everybody. That goes to what I was echoing from Jason Whitlock. Men, to, we do not have leaders who are good men. Men who fear God and men who hate bribery. We don't even have capable men right now. Our president is not capable. He's not. He is a he this is a man who hates truth. This is a man who takes bribes. This is a man who granted may sound compassionate. And this is why when I have comment I, I have discussions with people. And oftentimes I'm being called an asshole. I'm being called a jerk. I'm being called, and I'm not complaining. I actually revel in it because I'd rather be a good man than a nice man. I'd rather be an honorable man. I'd rather be a man like Jethro prescribed because I do fear God, because I understand there's nothing in this world more powerful or in existence more powerful than God. And I try to live truthfully. I try to live honestly. And I try to live by the truth of the Bible. Now, do I slip up? Yes. Do I struggle? Yes. Sometimes it is agonizing. But I try. at least I'm honest enough with myself, with God, to understand where my shortcomings are. And I try, try to surround myself with people who will hold me accountable, who I also surround myself with men of truth, men who can't be bought, men who fear God. And that list of men is becoming smaller and smaller. Being being a nice man, because, and that's when people say, you know, not to make this political, a lot of people voted for Joe Biden because he seemed nice. A lot of people hated Trump because he didn't seem nice. Niceness, as we can see, is not a good virtue. Is it nice to be nice? Yes. It, it, be nice, but don't let that be your defining character. I hate it when people say, oh, he's a nice guy. You don't know me. I'm not a nice guy. I'm not. Because niceness means I can be bought. Niceness means I'm not a truthful man. We have a lot of nice guys walking around here. And nice guys are the guys that are non-controversial. These are the guys that don't adhere to the truth. These are the guys that says, well, I mean, 
if somebody wants to identify as something else, you know, a man could be a woman. That's what nice people say. That's what nice men do. Nice men are what's allowing the society to fall. But men who fear God, because God is ultimately truth. Men like me, we're being called the assholes. We're the ones getting censored. We're the ones getting blocked. We're the ones dealing with all the, excuse my, excuse me, God, I got to say this, bullshit of nice people. Women are nice. And, 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 and men, every time we look at a woman, we say, oh, she looks nice because we don't know her. She looks appealing. She looks satisfying, but we don't know her. Niceness is a fallacy. Niceness is is not a, a, a value of a good leader. Barack Obama may have been a nice guy. I don't know Barack Obama. You know, a lot of his his um a lot of his speeches, especially nowadays, even back when he was president, were were constructed in niceness. We got to be nice. I freaking hate nice. Nice is, I don't, I do not like nice people because nice people to me, and, and I could be wrong, but nice people to me are disingenuous. Nice people to me are lies because nice people won't tell you anything. Like, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But no, nice people are these people that are allowing boys and men to dress up in dresses and prevent you from speaking the truth. Nice people prevent you from being honest. Nice people actually attack you for being not, for being honest. Now, is that very nice? No, it's not. But every time we look at nice, even the 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 fruit of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, that fruit look nice. But niceness has a cost. It's it really bothers me on what's going on in society today. And too often I run into nice guys, nice men and getting into dating. You always hear the trope. Nice guys finish last. Yes, because nice guys aren't honest. Nice guys. And and, and it's interesting because there, there are discussions about why nice guys finish last. Ladies, you should find a nice man. No, you should not. Because a nice guy cannot lead you. A nice guy cannot cannot defend you. A nice guy will try to appease other people despite of you. I am not a nice guy. I am not. If someone says something disrespectful to my wife, oh, (laughs) buddy, there's going to be some retribution coming. I am a good man. I don't allow someone to dishonor my wife, to dishonor my family, to dishonor God, to disrespect my family, to disrespect my wife more specifically, to disrespect me and and to disrespect God. I don't allow that. That is what good guys do because we stand in truth. Now, I'll respect your opinion. I'll respect how you feel. Because I cannot do anything about how you feel or how you think. That is a you problem. That has nothing to do with me. But when how you feel is trying to affect me, now 
we got a problem. I don't respect how you feel because you're using how you feel, how you think to attack or to change or manipulate me. That is what nice people do. We can't say that trans people aren't mentally ill. Yes, you can. They are mentally ill. You were born a man. You are not a woman. Women have uteruses. Women are biologically different from men. You were born a man. I'm sorry. You can pretend to be one. That's at best. That is what you're going to do. That is what good men do. If I had a son and my son said, hey, daddy, I want to wear a dress. No, you ain't doing it in my house. Does that sound nice? No, it doesn't sound nice. But it's what a good father does. Sounding candy is nice. I would love to eat candy, potato chips, all this other stuff. That's nice. Yes, I would love. I would love to live in my house and not have to pay bills. That's nice. But the reality of the situation is I got to pay my bills. If good men had stand in truth. The truth of the matter is, if I don't pay my bills, my lights will get turned off, my gas will get turned off, my house will get repossessed. That is living in truth. Fearing God. Fearing God is the same thing as men of truth because God is the truth. I can't sit here and say that God's creation is something that it's not. That men can be women and women can be men. No, they can't. God said so. I can't sit here and and take bribes. You cannot pay me to to think and do something that is one against God, two and against the truth. That that is why Kyle Rittenhouse, and I'm going to circle back to that. That is why Kyle Rittenhouse is in the position that he's in. Because we do not have leaders who have these these values. Unfortunately, Donald Trump didn't have all these values. He didn't. It's unfortunate as 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 and I believe Donald Trump is probably a good man. But good men are flawed, just like nice men. But at least good men stand on principle. Some things Donald Trump did stand on principle on, but not everything. At least not throughout the entirety of his life. I don't like the fact that Donald Trump started the the shutdown. He should have been a he should not have taken that bribe. He should have been a man of truth. Well, we have diseases every year. We have viruses every year. We don't shut down like if we shut down, it will affect the economy. No. We will displace people. That's where Donald Trump made the mistake. And the same thing with the gun rights. Donald Trump has made a lot of legislation against gun rights. He did not act as a man of truth at that time. He did not act as a man of God at that time. And I'm not sitting here saying, like, he's the most godly man ever. No, I understand. He is flawed like the rest of us. Now, he played his position. He did. He he was him. But I would rather take that. You know, I... It's just sad that we care so much about compassion and niceness to our own detriment, to the point where it's affecting our children, it's affecting our community, it's affecting our economy. It's all this wokeness, niceness, all this other stuff. You had people out here in the whole Kyle Rittenhouse thing. You had people in the street destroying property, 
destroying businesses, killing people because they didn't live in truth. Because Jacob Blake, a man who was a registered sex offender, who had a a restraining order, who got into a fight with the cops, you did not hold true to that. He got into a fight with the cops. The cops were called on him. The cops just didn't magically appear and started beating him up. That's what people who don't live in truth do. They make these stupid decisions that we all got to deal with. They rioted on a lie. They did not riot on the truth. They were bought. They even tried to sit here and say, well, we don't care about these businesses. They got insurance. They going to get their money anyway. You got Black Lives Matter and their representatives talking about we should have a right to loot and steal. That's not living in truth and that's living in bribery. We had Kamala Harris out here saying, oh, I'm going to bail out Jacob Blake, even though the dude sexually assaulted the woman who called the cops on him and he fought with the cops with a knife. He even said he was going to his car to get a knife. He endangered his children. That is not a man who is capable. We don't have capable men out here. And the men that are that are capable are being attacked. We're being censored. We're being shadow banned. We're being uh, blocked. I even see this now on the conservative side. You have men who try to be nice. They're not willing to stand up. They're not willing to stand up in truth. They're they're just mad that Donald Trump lost. I don't care about Donald Trump. I don't care about Joe Biden. I care about what is going on. What's affecting my family? That is what good men do because what is good is good for everybody. I don't disrespect other people's families, other people's wives because one, that is you. Now, I'll be nice to people I don't know. You don't know me, but I'm not. I'm, but my niceness stops at general respect of a stranger. That's where my niceness stops. If like, I, I just hate this. Like we're grooming men, even at my job, when I was working in law enforcement, you could not defend yourself. If you got into a tussle with someone, now you're on the chopping block. Despite the fact you got this person has spat on you, this person has struck you, this person has done all this other stuff. First of all, you're not, as a law enforcement officer, you are not dealing with good, capable men anyway. You're dealing with people who can be bought. And people, criminals will try to to buy you. Again, I, like, whew, I'm very passionate about this. We're, we're going to do an episode on, um, I'm going to expand this. This, um, Jeff, I'm gonna call it Jethro's principles. I'm going to expand this because right here is gold. It's beautiful. You know, it's, we need to stop, especially as men, we have to stop being so damn nice. We have to start upholding good men instead of nice men. Nice men are everywhere. In the manosphere, the nice guy is the simp. The nice guy is the guy that doesn't value himself, doesn't value his family. 
He cares too much about peace. He cares too much about accommodating. Nice guys should finish last. Screw being nice. Stop being a nice guy. Be a good guy. Be a good man. Be a man of principle. Be a capable man. Be a man of value. Do do not take bribes. Stop. And a lot of men take bribes. We will settle. And I'm just going to say, we will settle for a life of misery or a relationship of misery all because a woman either looks good or she sleeps with us good. That is still bribery. You will, and I'm not saying this to attack single moms or nothing like that, but men will accept a bad deal and have to deal with the consequences. That's what nice guys do. Now, if you are a man with kids, cool. Get with I have no problem with men with kids getting with women with kids. I but if you are a single guy and you have no kids, don't be that nice guy that settles for a single mom. Just don't. Once you find out that she is a single mom, she could she could be a good person. Just say, you know what? I can't do it. And if she calls you an asshole, hey, oh well. But you're being honest. You're being true and you're not taking the bribe of her looks and sex to get yourself into a situation that you don't benefit from. But we're, that's what I said. Bible is the most red pill book ever, but uh, we'll expand this. Uh, yeah, we're, we're running out of time. But yeah, thank you guys for, for tuning in. Thank you guys for reaching out. Um, if you guys want to help the show, please, um, you know, we got PayPal. You guys can go over to um, Wilder Tactical. Use the MO code 21 or MO21 code to get yourselves a discount at checkout. Um, visit our friends uh, Ray Delanuez over Becoming Men, my friend Anthony over at Gun Monkeys Nation, my girl Brittany over at the B&B show. Um, please tune in to Alfonso Rachel uh, to over at his website. And um, please give us five stars a like wherever you get your podcast. Please share the show, like the show. And until then, I will see you guys next time. Peace out. Peace out.